For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. Thank you for being here. Today is Friday, December 26, 2014. And today, I bring to you an interview with Jeff from the sustainablelifeblog.com. Jeff is a really neat guy. He's a listener to the show. And we first met at FinCon. He offered to come on the show, and I offered to bring him on. And I'm thrilled he accepted. I like to bring you interviews like today. If you are looking for a show with 23 specific in-depth top tips on here's what you should do or not do, you'll want to skip today's show. It's a little bit more of just a conversation. But the reason why I like to bring it is one of the major benefits that I get from listening to financial radio uh, is encouragement and perspective. And I like to hear real people, and this is one of the real benefits I see in podcasting, is we can vary the content between specific, in-depth, hardcore, hard-hitting experts and also relatively normal people. Jeff is listening to the show, and he and his wife uh, are on the same process. And what I think you'll find really valuable is towards the latter half of the interview, we get into some of the hiccups that have happened in Jeff and his wife's financial plan, uh, specifically the loss of a child. And I think that you'll appreciate uh, that perspective because it's very easy in, and I'm guilty of this myself, it's very easy in financial discussions to try to sound brilliant at everything. You know, I want you to think I'm brilliant every day, so I try to sound smart. <laughs> and a lot of times that's just not the facts. Uh, sometimes life is tough. Sometimes things happen that are not in our control. Sometimes everything's not all perfect and rosy such that we're all financially independent in two and a half years by working 10 hours a week and surfing you know, 50 hours a week. It's not quite always that way. And I really enjoy listening to just conversations like the one today. Jeff has some benefits and some things that he's learned from integrating sustainability and financial planning, and I hope you enjoy and benefit from that, but also just enjoy this conversation between two people with similar interests, and I hope that it encourages you on your path toward your financial goals and dreams. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can reach me at joshua at radicalpersonalfinance.com. Thank you so much for listening. Here's the interview. So, Jeff, welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. I appreciate you being with me today. Thanks for having me on today, Josh. So you're a listener to the show, and I know you reached out to me, and then we had a chance to meet there at FinCon, which was fun. And you're involved with finance, with your own personal finances, and kind of basically tying the connection between finance and a lot of basically green improvements and green living. And so, I mean, you, your, your blog is called the Sustainable Life Blog. So share with us a little bit about your story and how it all came together where you started to connect your, financial, your personal finance journey and your interest in sustainability. Sure. Um, it kind of started, I guess, when I got to college. I went to uh, University of Colorado, which is fairly well known as one of the more liberal universities in the country. And 
I had grown up in your traditional suburban environment where you needed a car to get basically anywhere you wanted to go and you were kind of forced into this commuting lifestyle and when I got to university I didn't I didn't have a car I sold it when I got to university and and put it aside to pay tuition a couple years later and at first I was really unsure of how I was going to live basically and you know where Boulder had a great bus system and public transit good bike trails and it took me about six months to realize that I didn't need a car to live and I didn't want a car and I wanted to kind of build my life around the fact that I I wouldn't need one going forward basically by choosing a, a spot to live that would be close to wherever I ended up getting a job. So that was kind of early on and that really stuck with me and then I got uh, my wife and I bought a house in 2012 that was built in the mid 1920s and just was very old and not updated. And we, I'll never forget this. We went in there to look at this house and it's, you know, it's in a good neighborhood within walking distance to downtown where I live in Cheyenne and I can bike to work and bike to the grocery store and bike to most of the other places that I need to go, which was high on my list as well. And we walked in there and it was probably 40, 40 to 50 degrees outside. And the woman that we bought it from kept the inside temperature somewhere in the 80s. It was ridiculously hot in there. Wow. And she was 92 years old, so she had to be living on a fixed income. And I found out after we ended up buying this place that there was absolutely no insulation in the house at all. Wow. So I, I, I don't know how much her heating bills were. I, I didn't ask, and I, I kind of regret doing that. But I know that my wife and I have had a couple months where our heating bill has gotten above 100 bucks, and that was after spending a lot of money to replace our windows, get new insulation, and do some technology upgrades that I think help us save quite a bit of money, like replacing most of our lights with LEDs and um, getting a, a NAST a programmable thermostat. Mm -hmm. Did uh, why was she why was she selling and moving? Um, she she moved around pretty well for ninety two years old, but she I mean it, it's it's a two thousand square foot house and she just couldn't take care of it all herself and we found out later from the neighbors that she had been wanting to move to an old folks home and her since her dad built this house her children didn't want her to move to the old folks home but I guess at, at 92 she finally she finally got her wish and was able to move in there hmm. good for her so you've been renovating the house do you think has it saved you money is it an affordable way to live or has it been costing you more than it saved you Oh, I, I think it's been saving us a ton of money. We, I mentioned getting insulation in the place, and that was one of the first things we did. So we called up our, our local utility, and I asked about, you know, a lot of the utilities are, are looking to lower their expenses, uh, capital construction costs, and lower, lower residence energy demands so they don't have to build new power plants as soon as they would have normally. So they 
almost every local utility that I've ever dealt with has been interested in helping you reduce your demand for heat and electricity. So we called them and they sent somebody out to do a free energy audit. And after the guy completed his audit, he gave us a bunch of tips of things we could do ourselves, like change out the light bulbs for LEDs. And he recommended that we insulate, obviously, the, the attic and all the walls and told us that the utility was willing to kick up. Um, they ended up paying for about 75% of the total cost. And I think they, they offered us like 700 and the first $750 of what it would cost to insulate the walls. And then the first like thousand dollars or so for what it would cost to insulate the attic. And so we, we, the guy who did the insulation would have charged just about 3500 bucks for what he did for us, and we ended up paying twelve or $1,300 after all the utility rebates kicked in, and it saved us a ton of money in heating expenses. Do you have any ability to figure out, like, did you go through one winter with it, uh, go through one winter with it without it being insulated where you could track your number? Were you able to figure out how much it saved you? No, unfortunately not. I could only estimate, but I I think that had we not insulated it, our heating bills probably in the winter would have been 200 to $250, depending on how cold it was that month per month. And now with the insulation, we've kind of, I think our highest bill has been about 115 hmm. Do you have more improvements planned? Yeah, we do. We... We have a pretty um, well-lit nat- with natural light upstairs, and, and there is 23 windows on the first floor of our house, and I think we replaced 16 of them at one point. So we're gonna we're gonna do the other eight windows probably next summer, and that should uh, that should be it for the major energy saving upgrades at the moment, and then. I'm thinking about doing a radiant heating system like uh, Mr. Money Mustache mentioned on his blog, but I've got to do a little bit more research into how that will work in our application. Can you, uh, can you switch to wood heat? Can you put in like a rocket mass heater or, or something like that and renovate the house and maybe put like a glass house on the south? Have you looked into some of those design ideas? I, I've thought about that. I was kind of hoping to save the, uh, the south side of our house for a little greenhouse and and used and I, I saved all the old windows when they took them out and i was going to try and build a little greenhouse with a couple of salvaged two by fours and all the old windows that i saved when they replaced ours yeah i mean it seems i always look at i'm not an expert i'm just a total layperson but i look at the the, the heating versus cooling problem and it seems so easy to solve the heating problem cheaply and easily to me who never having lived up there but like the technology seems so simple i look at um i don't know if you're familiar that uh, i had had him on the show this guy named stephen harris he has all these these little like solar heating heaters that he he 
um, designed. He sells a book on it. You basically just build these things and stick them in a window. And they're basically a black box and they, they work like a solar heater. Uh, insulation seems so easy. There's so many technologies with like with with wood heat and it just it's easy to grow. Easy here. Listen to me. It's not that complicated to set up a wood lot in the back of your property and, and you know, coppice your trees and you can grow. I mean, there's some amazing things you see. And I look at cooling and it's exactly the opposite to me. It seems so difficult compared to the heating. But uh, so I always get a little jealous of you, who, you guys trying to solve your energy efficiency problems up north. Yeah, we, we most certainly don't have the cooling problem here that I'm sure you have down in Florida. Yeah. Are you trying to do all the work yourself or what are you learning as you go through this process? Um, the insulation, they didn't want us to do ourselves because the utility had a, a deal worked out with the guy in town. Um, I've done, I did some of the windows myself and some of them I, we hired out. And then I mentioned the radiant floor heat. If that gets done, I will do that myself. And, and my wife and I have just learned an incredible amount in the process. I, I, in addition to the radiant heat and the insulation, when we moved in, we found, uh, the original wiring which is called knob and tube wiring and it was it was before kind of the big revolution in electrical wiring that happened in the late 50s mm -hmm. and so this was basically a series of single wires um that you just ran and when you needed to turn a corner you'd put a little porcelain knob on it and then wrap the wire around the knob and go whatever direction you need to go and those were all not grounded and they they obviously were not up to any current code but since they were existing they were fine and i replaced all those that um that took me about a month and a half of work in the attic and when i talked to an electrician he said that he's done similar jobs to what i did and he's charged about 12 or 15 grand to do what i did why do you blog um, I blog because I want to show people or teach people that saving money and doing right by the environment are not, are not, they're not difficult to do. And usually they kind of complement each other. Does, is one of those bigger a bigger deal to you than the other saving versus the environment is that is there like it's just one of those a bigger draw for you um i i would say that when i started the environment was probably a bigger draw for me but now that i've learned more about finance and and realized that it kind of is at the core of everything you do you know once you turn like 14 and start earning your own money it it frees you up to, it either traps you into, you know, making certain choices that you wouldn't make if you didn't, you know, have a lot of debt and need to pay it off and need the money, or it can free you up in terms of, you know, you, you don't need a lot of money so you can spend your time doing whatever you want as opposed to what, you know, your debt is forcing you to do. So I've kind of gotten more interested in, the finance side as over the last five years where I probably started out a little bit more interested in the environmental side. Have you had any, like, have you, have your opinion shifted over time 
as you've learned more about and tried to actually apply some of your ideas as far as any, have you changed your viewpoints on anything? Some of the things I have, I still think that it's a lot easier than a lot of people make it out to be. And I know a lot of, you know, like Mr. Money Mustache says, well, it's, it's simple to save a lot of money. Just, you know, sell your car and ride your bike everywhere. And, and when you suggest that to people, they're, they're like, they start making excuses. Basically they're like, well, I can't ride a bike. I, I, I live too far from work. It's like, well, then why don't you move? Well, I don't want to move. You know, I, I like my house. I mean, those are nobody. Nobody is forcing them to to drive a long way to their office, and no one is is forcing them to live where they do. Those are both choices they make. But the you know that the choice of where you live versus where you work is one that you make, and that affects other options that you have. Like you know, if you live. 35 miles away from your office, I will agree that biking is a little bit difficult. I've never, <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> um, I was thinking about, I'm going to go back to the blog, and I'm interested because your, your blog seems very personal, and but it's, it seems like it's, it's almost a record of of essentially kind of some of the things that you've done. Has it been beneficial for you to go through the process of sitting down and writing out your thoughts? Have you noticed clearer thinking or anything like that over the years? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I started my website in 2009 and all told I had about $55,000 worth of debt, which is why I started it, um, to keep, keep myself accountable. But I've found out that if I can kind of, you know, do a little research and sit down and write, you know, say I wrote about um, getting our energy audit and I, I kind of sat down and I thought to myself, well, what do I think this guy's going to come in here and do? And, you know, I, I listed off the obvious ones like he was going to check the attic for insulation and he was going to look at the lights and, and suggest sealing, you know, small gaps in the old windows if there were any and things like that. But after I kind of sat down with that for a while, I, I was thinking mostly in terms of the saving energy and kind of going green side of that thing. But I mean, the, the, you could call them investments, I guess, the investments that we made in our house in terms of buying new windows and uh, adding insulation basically to our house will continue to save us money for years and years and years. I mean, we, we are probably saving somewhere between four and $600 per year, I guess, just in heating costs alone. And that's natural gas prices at fairly low levels right. compared to recent years. Do you make any money on your blog? I, I make a little bit, mostly enough to kind of keep the lights on, so to speak. And, and I, I do... I traveled to FinCon with the earnings from the blog, but they, I used to make, in 2011 I did pretty well, but there's been a lot of changes since then and I haven't been doing as well. And it, that doesn't really bother me all that much as long as it'll cover its expenses. It's a nice, it's a nice hobby and it's a nice outlet. Yeah, and I would think, I mean, 
I never, I never, I feel like a bit of a hypocrite because I often suggest that, like, I love p- people that start financial blogs. And uh, the reason I think is because it gives you an incentive to sit down and to make a plan and think, and it gives you a small community of people. I get so nervous with all of the, I mean, it's great that people can make money, and I'm, always, I'm, I'm trying to make money on my show, it's turning it into a business. But even if, uh, even if you never make a dime, it's it forces you to sit down and go through that process of writing out what you believe. And I see that as a, as a transformative process. I do it personally, you know, just in my journal. But I think it's, it can be an extra motivation for many people to sit down and just share the lessons with other people. I, I totally agree with you. And, and I think that a lot of people... You know, not not just a lot of people who don't have blogs, but a lot of people don't really take the time to do this in their own life. So, you know, they they all of a sudden wake up one day and and they're not sure if if they enjoy doing something or if they've just been doing it for the last ten years out of habit. And and I think that's something that you know people can easily get stuck into. I. Uh, I spoke with Craig Mathias last week, or maybe it was the week before, about this, and we kind of got off to talking about how, even though you're like, it, like if you don't sit down and say, you know, write down a list. Like for me, I I have a list of my favorite things, and I like to go for walks, and I like to spend time with my family, and. I like to play fetch with the dog and I like to ride my bike. Like those things are really important to me, you know, and, and I have other hobbies as well that I enjoy, but as long as I'm doing, you know, those five things a couple times a week or, or five or six times a week, that makes me happy. But a lot of people, you know, they, they don't get time to reflect like that. And so they're not sure if, you know, they, they go play horseshoes every Friday night with their friends if they actually like playing horseshoes or if they just kind of do it because that's what they've always done on Friday nights. You know what I mean? Right. Right. It forces, forces you to actually consider what you actually, uh, what you actually believe and what you actually like. There's something called, uh, there's a word, um, called dialectic and how I, how I understand the word, there are different applications of it, but I think of it from my personal definition as kind of arguing with yourself and forcing yourself to say, do I believe this that I believe? And it's funny because you can do that in writing. I do it with my show. Sometimes I'll share something on the show, then I'll go back and listen to it and I say, Hmm, do I believe that what I believe? And, uh, so far, usually, I mean, I'm pretty careful about what I say to make sure I say what I believe, but writing is useful because then you can look at it in black and, and white better than audio for, for most people, I think. And you can say, ah, now I'm clear. The entire process of, of financial planning is just about getting clarity on goals. And once you get clarity on goals, you figure out what do I do to get there? And then what's all the stuff that could happen to derail me? And how do I plan for that? <laughs> and it's so clear, but as a society, we don't often engage in that, um, that dialectic, that argument, self-argument with yourself to see if you really believe what you believe. Uh, you know, I, I totally agree. I think that a lot of people kind of run into financial problems because they don't ever sit down and do this. You know, people go out and, and spend a lot of money on clothes or, or fancy dinners out, new cars or whatever. 
and they they just buy that because that's what people expect them to have or or that's what they think they should have but they've never really sat down and and thought to themselves you know i i want to become a, a sports radio announcer or you know i want to live in bali for a year or whatever they've never sat down and actually kind of said that to themselves and and let that big dream out into the open and so they just keep floating by and don't really ever get it ever even give themselves a chance to accomplish it because they don't like kind of you know put it onto paper like you said Notice that you have had some challenges. I know you had a baby that was born premature, and you had some mix-ups with your with your wife's income. And so, I know you've had. I mean, it sounds like at least just from reading your writing that you've had some personal challenges in your finance that you've had to work your finances that you've had to work your way through. Do you feel like sometimes people make it sound too easy with finance, especially in the internet? You know, sometimes I do. I mean, you you mentioned I'll I'll give listeners for. A, a little bit of backstory. My wife was pregnant about this time last year, and we were expecting twins. And it, um, a couple in December, we found out one of those twins had a whole multitude of of defects that were caused by chromosomal abnormalities, and he wasn't going to make it. Mm-hmm which was jarring and very unfortunate to say the least. And it, it, I I learned a lot about the specific condition that our son had. And it was, uh, it's called trisomy 13. If anyone was curious, it's when you have a break on the 13th chromosome and development just starts to get all weird and and things you know the heart doesn't form right and and the intestines and stomach grow outside of the body cavity so he the doctors told us that he wasn't going to make it but that the pregnancy should be fine and that our, our daughter would be fine and then we had a baby shower for our daughter when my wife was six months pregnant in february and before the baby shower started, like we were setting stuff up and, and kind of waiting, you know, a couple people were here and we were kind of waiting for everyone else to turn up. And my wife's like, my, my side kind of hurts and I feel kind of tired. I was like, well, you know, just don't do anything. I'll, I'll take care of it. Sit down, relax, you know, just enjoy the night. Mm-hmm. And, and not having had a pregnant wife before, I, I didn't really think anything of it. Mm-hmm. And after everybody left, she's like, you know, my side really starts to hurt. And her sister, who has had just had a kid who was probably a little over a year old at the time, said, well, where do you feel it? And my wife starts pointing at the, you know, kind of at her side and her lower back. And my sister's like, well, that's kind of where the contraction pains are. So we started timing them and they started getting quicker and to make a, a long story short, we ended up going to the hospital. I called the doctor, and the doctor's like, you need to come to the hospital now. Mm-hmm. And we kind of went to, we went to the hospital, kind of sat there while they monitored my wife for a couple hours. And then the baby came out, and the Flight for Life team was there waiting. 
and they set her all up with a bunch of tubes and put her in one of those little teeny boxes on a stretcher and they took me and the baby down to a, a bigger hospital with better facilities that could care for her. And so she lived there for in the hospital for three months and my wife took is a school teacher, so she took off the rest of, of that school year at work and stayed stayed like basically went to the hospital every day for three months and then I drove down there. I worked four days a week and drove down on the weekends and that was kind of our life from February to May. Wow. And that was that was challenging and and we had we had good insurance thankfully because that care I added up all the bills one day just kind of for fun and it was well over three quarters of a million bucks. Wow. Um so that was that that was I mean everything worked out fine. I you know, I I think that I didn't know enough about the process to be worried about it, so I just kind of <laughs> <laughs> took, took it all in stride and, and you know that's kind of my personality type too so I'm not sure if it was more one or the other or a little bit of both but everything turned out fine you know our daughter is she's healthy she's small for her age but that's to be expected mm-hmm. so there was that and then we my wife went back to work this fall and teaching 66% of the time or two thirds, however you want to put it. And the first month they, they paid her what, she, what would have been a full paycheck. And, and since she wasn't working full time, she shouldn't have got that. So she went and corrected it with her school district. And then the next month they paid her only one third of a a check when she was supposed to be getting like two thirds of what we were used to. Mm -hmm. So we still have yet to figure out exactly how much she's going to get paid during this time of working two thirds time. So that, that has been one of the thing that's caused like kind of a, a cash crunch that you mentioned. And the other thing is I switched jobs in June to, uh, I went from a government position to, a private firm because I was more interested in in the equity options that I was offered and I thought it had a higher potential for upside than where I was at. Mm -hmm. So I had to put everybody on my insurance because that's where everyone was and my insurance costs went from like $100 a month for the entire family to over a thousand. Yeah. And and it uh, it uh, like all of you know my wife and I have been you know we knew she wanted to stay home at least part-time with the kids and so we we have plenty of savings and we haven't been operating at a negative cash flow but we were we were in, in quite a bit of a cash crunch for well, well we're not quite out of it yet well once this January rolls around and we switch insurances and they fix my wife's pay, we should exit it. But it's been a, a kind of challenging road in one sense, but in the other sense, it's taught us that, you know, we don't need to go out and spend a whole bunch of money to be happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you shared those details because it's actually, especially in the world of finance, I'm concerned 
one of my concerns that I have with those of us who are producing financial content is in the same way that if I post something on Facebook, it's probably going to be something fun, something impressive that I'm doing. You know, look at me on my on the beach. You know, with my look at laughing at all you suckers up in the rest of the country where it's all cold, and here I am. I'm having such a great life on the beach on Wednesday morning. You know, we we we, we put forth this persona. Oftentimes, we want we want to believe we want people to believe that we are uh, admirable. We want people to believe that we're worthy of of admiration. And when it comes to finance, we tend to do the same thing. And, and we tend to often, we tend to often write about, uh, you know, everything that's going well. And we tend to talk about things that are going well. And we tend to make things sound easy. Oh, just, you know, I, I have, a, I have a tendency to do this. Live on 20% of your income. It's so easy. It's wonderful. It's great. It's no big deal at all. <laughs> and, you know, just, you know, fix the system. That's not reality. And I'm, I'm, I think I'm, I'm guilty of it, and I want to do a better job of, of sharing what's real and also talking with people about what's real because the reality of life is that sometimes there's struggles. The reality of finance is that finances get tight, and they don't only get tight because you are somehow you know have a character weakness sometimes they get tight because you have a premature baby and you can't work and sometimes you know they get tight because you get sick sometimes they get tight because you get laid off from work and so i appreciate your sharing those things on your blog and i think that we who are involved in personal finance need to do a better job of of sharing the realities of life where our good ideas are shared within the context of reality right i mean you know we've been even though we've been operating on a on a way smaller monthly budget than we did 12 months ago it it doesn't really feel that bad because of you know we talked about energy a bit at the beginning all that stuff that we did significantly lowered the amount of cash we need every month to to pay our bills I mean, even even through all this, you know, we still have uh, we have a 15 year mortgage because that was something that my wife and I talked about. We bought a, a, a reasonable house and we took out a 15 year mortgage. And I told her, I was like, look, you know, we're you know, you're not pregnant yet, but you're probably going to be pregnant in the future. And even if we we buy this house on a 15 year mortgage and do absolutely nothing, this house is most likely going to be paid off by the time our, our first child gets into high school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, there was that. And, there, you know, I mentioned the windows and the insulation. Like, we're, we're, not, we're not getting $300 heating bills, electricity bills kind of sprung on us one month because Mother Nature decided that it wasn't going to get above you know three degrees in wyoming for a week and a half one month Mm -hmm. we're not really at the whims of those things anymore and i'll tell you that even though we're we have a lot less cash now than we did a year ago i feel more financially comfortable because we have three to four months of emergency fund depending on on things and and I didn't, five years ago when I started this journey, I didn't have an emergency fund. I had a whole pile of debt and um, a 1985 Saab that caught on fire while I was riding in it one time. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not, 
dependent on so many outside factors anymore. Like if, if my car broke down, it wouldn't matter. And I honestly would probably not figure it out for a month because I ride my bike to work or I walk, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't, all of, all of these changes that we've been making over the past four or five years allowed us to skate through this fairly rough time, relatively unscathed. That's the that's a a really important reminder. You know, the things that you do to plan appropriately, the reason that you save money and so that you have a little bit of a cushion and the reason that you learn frugality, skills of frugality, it it gives you more resilience in life. You know, I can think of in in my family <laughs> just some simple things like the lowering expenses is is a very useful thing to do because it can result in so many long-term savings. I noticed you have a I noticed that you have a post on your site about uh, reusable baby wipes and it's my wife and I do that. We've made, you know, same thing, had a flannel blanket, chopped it up and use them for reusable baby wipes. And it was so interesting we we talk about like man, how expensive would it be to be have to go buy diapers and wipes all the time? But the the fact is that we can be have more peace because we don't have to come up with that expense. There have been times in the past where, um, where, uh, you know, my income would fluctuate, and I would have one month where I made a lot of money and another month where I made no money, and having the ability to have plenty of food in the pantry so that we could say, well, we're not going to go grocery shopping for the next few weeks. Didn't we weren't we weren't broke, but it gives you more resilience and allows you to not to spend money because you have other other backups and that makes for a much more peaceful life which leads to better health a better marriage more personal a greater personal mental health and it has a an overflow effect in many ways i i agree one thing that i did not mention earlier but when my wife was living down by the hospital staying with my parents and i was up at our house in wyoming i would i kind of developed this nice little routine where i would go down to Denver where the hospital was and on Thursday nights and I would I would stay with my parents and my wife and we would go to the hospital Thursday night, Friday, Saturday and Sunday for most of the day and then I would leave three, two or three in the afternoon on Sunday and I would come back home, I would go to the grocery store and I would make a few me I would make one meal in the crock pot for me to eat all week because I don't care if I'm eating the same thing for 10 meals in a row and and then I would make one or two meals that I stuck uh I took and put in the freezer for when everybody finally did come home we would have another buffer like that like you mentioned you know we had a whole bunch of dinners already in the freezer and all we had to do was take them out and thaw them and they would be ready to cook yeah absolutely it's Little things like that make a big difference in the quality of life. They really do. Anything else that you would like to cover, you'd like to mention, that you'd like to share with the audience while we're on today? Um, yeah, I wanted to get get into more. I know we talked about all the all the stuff you can do to kind of go green and save money. And I think that it's something that a lot of people overlook because they, they get a pill, a pill from... Uh, con ed or or whoever utility is and then they just write it and you know they write their check or they set up the auto withdrawal and then they kind of go on but there are a lot of things that you can do 
structural changes, not 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 behavioral changes like remembering to turn off the light every time you leave the room, but structural changes in terms of efficiency upgrades with your insulation and and your like you can go and and right now LED light bulbs I think are two for eight dollars at Home Depot and you can go and pick up a whole bunch of those you know say you want to get um, five or ten of those and you can put those light bulbs in the most highly used lights in your house I mean don't don't go putting them in a closet or whatever because you're only going to turn on a closet light two to three times a day for a minute or two at a time but you know in your bathroom or your kitchen where the lights are on you know 20 30 minutes or more each time you turn them on and you're turning them on five or six times a day you know it that adds up to five or ten bucks a month off of your energy bill and it requires no behavior changes whatsoever right and same thing with the insulation you got you got to make a couple phone calls check and see what kind of insulation you have if you have any and then honestly have them i think we had our attic built up to like r60 or r80 and that you know that again like i mentioned has probably saved us five or six hundred dollars per year just in gas costs it it paid for itself in Mm -hmm. 13 or 14 months i would guess and same with the windows. We replaced the original windows that were one pane leaded glass with newer high efficiency windows and, and we got a tax break for that, just like we did for the insulation. And we didn't what once again that required a, a one time effort and no behavioral changes. We you know, we've we've done a whole a whole bunch of things that have probably, I mean, we were probably looking at $200 to, to $250 at, at the worst in, in heating and electricity bills during the winter. And because of these actions we've taken one time, we're not, we're not looking at heating bills that big. We're not going to get surprised by heating bills that big. And we can take this money that we've, you know, saved and put it somewhere else far more useful. And I think these things are things like that people overlook because they think, oh, I want to lower my electricity bill. Everybody says that I should, you know, turn the heat down to, to 60 degrees or whatever in the winter and, and, you know, make all these behavioral changes so I remember to shut off my lights and, and all of these other things. But you don't need to get into those behavioral changes until after you've taken care of the bigger structural type issues. And usually the structural type issues are the ones that are going to save you the most money anyway. It's an interesting concept that I think we could apply in a lot more, in a lot of areas, just the idea of a structural cost, because whether it's the choice to buy example that comes to mind i choose to buy a four bedroom house instead of a two bedroom house when i don't if i don't need or have a use for the extra rooms well i'm going to be heating and cooling those rooms i'm going to be insuring those rooms i'm going to be paying taxes on those rooms i've and just cleaning them right, and cleaning them i've just structurally increased my lifestyle cost 
by a certain amount, and that's never going to change. And so if, I, if it can fit in my lifestyle, going from a four-bedroom house to a two- or three-bedroom house, if that can fit my lifestyle, my needs, my kids, whatever those needs are, then that can reduce forever an ongoing expense or something as simple as I remember when I was uh, needed to get another car and I went I knew I wanted a minivan and I'm shopping around to try to figure out how can I spend a, you know what what price and you basically I basically came out that there were you know the the four that I was willing to consider were were the Honda the Toyota the Kia and the Hyundai and the Kia and the Hyundai are the same one or they're the same basically the same vehicle so I looked at it and I looked at the insurance costs and the insurance costs on the Hyundai were the lowest of all of them. And so there is a lower structural cost of the, of, uh, of the Hyundai and, and the Kia instead of getting the higher insurance costs for the other ones. And little things like that make a big difference. Now you have to then also with cars, okay, the repair costs, the choice to buy a car that's highly rated for reliability versus a car that's low, you know, not well rated for reliability. There's a very simple structural cost. I almost one time, I'm so glad I didn't, but at one time I thought I needed to get a fancy car to impress people so that they would think I was a great financial advisor. And I was this close to buying a Mercedes um, sedan that I had found a good deal on. And I'm so glad I didn't because something as simple as buying a Mercedes would have structurally meant that from now on, I got to get the fancy tires and I got to get the expensive oil change and I got to get everything. Everything just structurally becomes higher because of one little choice of what car brand. And and we don't. I don't think about this enough. I think even in my own life. So I commend it to the audience as a as a topic of consideration. I I, I totally agree. I mean, I I talked about people how how easy it was to ride their bike, and you know where not only you know the size of the house, like you mentioned, is part of your structural cost, but where you live. Like you know, there, there's a lot of great houses near my town where I could probably be in town. Um, driving in 15 or 20 minutes which is to a lot of people a reasonable commute and i could go out a little bit north or a little bit east of town and and buy 40 acres and and build this property with a nice barn and an outbuilding for all my tools and all that but choosing to do that means that now i i I don't have a choice whether or not I can bike because I've basically forced myself into driving. I've got to pay more for gas. I've got to pay more for car insurance. You know, there's going to be more wear and tear on my vehicle than there would be if I bought, you know, a house in town that I could walk to most places instead of drive. Right. And these, in, in my mind, these structural costs are the biggest drivers of people's financial issues. Right. Absolutely. There, you know, everybody just says making ends meet is tough. And I'm kind of generalizing here, but making ends meet is tough because I have all these bills to pay. Well, you know, the, these, you know, these bills are, are the structural part of your finances that usually take a little bit of thinking and a little bit of investment. And then you can greatly reduce their costs without, without a whole lot of action on your part. Right. When I was in school and we talked about a lot of environmental issues like, you know, remediation or, or cleanup or something, to give an example, say, say there's an oil spill, they always say that it's going to cost as much to clean up the first 90% of the oil spill as it is to clean up the last 10. Interesting. And that's, you know, that's true 
in your finances as well. You're going to put as much effort into, you know, reducing your energy bill by the first 25 percent or the first 50 percent as you will the next 25. And and same with you know your cell phone bill or or your cable TV if if you still have that like usually you can lower your cable TV by switching companies or or calling and whining and asking for a discount. Mm-hmm. And you know you could you could knock twenty or thirty bucks a month off that you know that's a couple hundred bucks a year. Or you could you know that's I mean that's easy savings. Or you could do nothing and let things continue. And, and not really focus on those and, you know, try and watch less TV or whatever. But the thing is, these structural costs typically to, to get a significant reduction in most or all of them only requires a small amount of upfront work. And, and it's not, you know, it's not something like to save money on groceries, you're going to need to eat cardboard for a week and a half or whatever. Right that you can easily reduce your structural costs without making behavior changes, which in terms of finances and, you know, in health, I'm, I'm currently trying to change what I eat and I'm finding it to be very difficult, far more difficult than, than other changes that I've made in my life because you're, I mean, you eat two to three meals every day. So you have to make a conscious choice every day to say, oh, I don't want to eat that because it's not going to make me feel good and it's not good for me long term versus, you know, things like going, like if I wanted to get more exercise, then I could simply start walking to work right? instead of taking time out and going to the gym or whatever. And to me, those changes are far easier across the board, no matter if you're talking about saving money on your cell phone bill or your car insurance or your energy, those structural changes will yield a lot better and bigger results in a lot less time than behavioral changes will. Excellent point. Anything else on your list? No, I think that about covers it, Joshua. I'd encourage you to keep doing what you're doing and keep writing about it, keep sharing about it, and keep uh, keep making changes. Uh, I think it's awesome, and I, I hope that I hope that you and your wife, um, you know, enjoy the valley because it makes the mountaintop feel uh, feel a lot better, right? <laughs> right. And I appreciate uh, I appreciate your sharing, and I appreciate your because I do see you know to me I see a massive connection between um, sustainability and finance and there are so many things people often focus on the divisive uh, arguments uh, with regard to sustainability when there's so many just simple things that just make sense and there's no division to them so why spend all this time arguing about stuff that doesn't matter why not just do stuff that has a multitude of, of benefits and effects all in one place at least that's that's my philosophy so Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate, uh, I appreciate you making the time to do so and sharing your ideas with us. Thanks for having me. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. 
Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.